listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Multisensory, emotive, performative. Lisa Renee Coons is a composer and sound artist with an affinity to choreographic gestures, spatialized works, and collaboration. Her relationship with the concert hall is tenuous, and recent works follow a gradual and deliberate expansion beyond that space. Collaborators on these works include the director-designer Mark de Chiazza, Spectral Quartet, Collect Project, the American Composers Orchestra, and the International Contemporary Ensemble. Lisa is a dedicated educator and is currently an associate professor of music composition at Western Michigan University. Well, Lisa, good to meet you, albeit on Zoom. Um, we it's nice are gonna... to meet you. This is how I do everything now. So this right, feels yeah, very... Right, yeah. This is our life right now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting someone in person is the weird thing. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about uh, two of your pieces tonight. And I wanted to start off with your piece, uh, Essay Number 1, Mater. And this is uh, for alto flute, voice, accordion, and electronics. And so very this... standard, yeah. Ver- very standard, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that particular ensemble is um, Collect Project. Mm-hmm. Collect Project, yeah. Col- ah, I <laughs> thought it was that. Ah, that's all right. Well, I think I think we featured Collect Project on um, the podcast when I had Chris Biggs on because he's written a piece for them as well, right? We both wrote for the same time. Um, my colleague yeah. Chris Biggs and I we brought Collect Project in. We we're really excited about working with them, and we. You know, they're amazing performers. So we did residencies with them here at Western. And yeah, so um, I'm sure you did feature them. And they just, they're wonderful new music musicians. So I think they're kind of all over the place in one form or another. Yeah. I mean, the the flautist is uh, Shana Gutierrez. Did she get married? Yeah, and changed her name. Yeah. And uh, who who are the other members of uh, of that project? Um, Frauke Albert is the vocalist. Um, she's amazing. Based in Germany. Also based in Germany is, uh, Ava, the accordionist. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Francisco is, um, does the electronics and he's based in New York right now. So, um, it's a cool group. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Really, really unique. Um, and I mean, all just amazing, uh, new music performers. Um, this piece, can you kind of tell me the story of this piece? I mean, um, does the title, does mater mean mother? It does. Um, so I have two kiddos. Um, we premiered this in um, 2019. I had a, um, I had my little one already, and I was pregnant with my second kid. And, um, you know... My my oldest, um, so my oldest has a complete bilateral cleft lip and palate, mm-hmm. um, which means a lot of a lot of surgery, a lot of challenges in those first couple of years, a lot yeah. of speech therapy. We started doing speech therapy pretty early, um, and I became kind of obsessed with those noises that we were struggling to make. And I also um, I also felt. Uh, I should probably tell you every piece I write is more like I think um, like a diary entry than it is something. Um, so you're probably getting more than you bargained for here. Um, but well, that's great because I wanted to know. So. 
um, I, I had this sense, I started writing these essays about um, how I had a sense that this person I'd been, I'd thought that I was gonna be a mother and this was gonna add a dimension or something, but um, I felt completely erased. Um, I had become this, this three other people um, completely different from who I'd been before. Um, one of them mostly dealt with fighting with hospitals and insurance companies and being, uh, and you know, uh, um, I felt pulled in these different places, pulled, just torn asunder um, at every turn. And um, I, I was kind of unprepared for the amount of vulnerability and anger um, and kind of the immense terrifying love mm -hmm. that I was experiencing. And uh, so I wrote this piece for these three performers on stage, these three women who are visible on stage, very different, each kind of performing an aspect of identity um, and kind of being torn apart, but then getting pulled back into the um, kind of a, a group function. And then um, Francisco doing electronics, kind of controlling them from the audience, kind of doing these big hand gestures and um, shaping things and, and triggering the electronics and um, controlling their sound as well. So um, these ideas of external forces controlling or becoming something other and um, these dimensional selves that, and then the hidden self that's the electronics, which is my voice kind of reading this chopped up essay that I wrote. Yeah, I mean, so the the electronics themselves that is that's live electronics then, are, and you're also processing the sounds of the uh, the instrumentalists or very little. Um, very little. So it's okay. triggered fixed media. It's nothing um, nothing too in depth. And then um, everybody on stage is amplified, and we have just compression and gate on them. Not a whole okay. lot else, but just a, a little bit of reverb maybe to. Get him in the space. To sweet, to sweet, yeah, sweeten yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, I also noticed um, during the video performance, it looked like the accordionist was um, also speaking. Um, is is that the only uh, uh, member of the ensemble that, ha other than the singer, of course? Uh, does does uh, Shana does she ever engage in like speaking or, or anything like that? They're all sort of speaking through their instruments and moving their mouths is important because I thought there was um, a loss of agency when one can't be can't communicate well. It was part mm -hmm. of the speech therapy and the other things that. So I wanted times where um, this is actually very strange for me to to talk about these pieces as as like not the the physical. Um, not the video, not seeing the physical bodies, because a big part of this yeah. is is the performing body. So um, there's a lot of times when they're they're speaking along with things, even if you can't hear it, and imitating it, and being pulled into this, and um, acting as a mouth for someone else's gestures. And um, yeah, everybody, I can't help it. And I know you've um, you've done a lot with poetry and the voice and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter. I can write for a pianist, and they end up using their voice i write for an yeah. accordionist and they use their voice it's just inevitable yeah and i mean one one thing i thought that that really helped with was it it made the sounds that we're hearing from the stage the sounds that we're hearing from the speakers and then the live sounds that are being projected through the speakers it all sort of congealed and gelled together really nicely because we do have that visual information of e even if things kind of aren't lining up, I was like with 
words and and like mouth uh mouth shapes or anything i still felt like wow everything is coming from you know even though i know like i i know there's fixed electronics there it still seems like everything is coming at certain times from the ensemble so it just i i, I thought that that visual choice really helped the aural effect thank you yeah i i wanted it to be sort of there are times where the ensemble is functioning as a single entity. They're, they're um, indistinguishable from one another. Their bodies yeah. move. They breathe together. They, um, and then there's these times where they split apart. They kind of fight that weight of being tied to one another. And there's autonomy. And there's more. Um, a lot of it's structured improvisation at those points, very open. Um, so I'm very very excited if that was your perception of it that yeah. it felt at times that it held together like that i think i know what one of those times you're talking about so after kind of the first big climax where everything kind of cuts off and then the inst the voice and the instruments are in these like really tight high clusters um and then the electronics kind of come out of that with these like slinky gestural figures I mean, that gave me that particular moment gave me a very visual reaction. You know, the electronics being what they are, like it seemed like they were sonified choreography in a way. I mean, do you do these ideas kind of start out visually or are you kind of just working with sounds? Um. Wow, I'm kind of blown away. I've never met you, and I feel like I, I need to talk to you about my music more because you're helping me. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, I actually start, I sketch visually first. I sketch every, I sketch a lot of these sounds out um, as visual gestures. I don't work in, um, I don't work in notation software. I usually work pretty abstractly. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a, like a, a, you know, I do charcoals and pencil and do gestures happen here to this arrival point and proportions and text. And um, so, yeah, that's it's very much like I wanted these sustained things and then these sort of these bubbling, undulating things to sort of erupt from it or merge or live under it. And yeah, um, yeah um, I, I haven't found another way that that works for me to work. I think I get too caught up in. Um, the details if I try to start some other way. So uh, yeah. everything starts visual for me. Mm -hmm. And you you said before that uh, um, a portion or, or some amount of this piece is kind of controlled improvisation. So what, like how much are you giving the, the players? So um, this was a really challenging piece in that they, because um, two of the members live abroad and it's very hard to get visas to come work in the U.S. and yeah. everything else, they wanted this to be something that they could do as a trio or as a quartet, so possibly not doing it with the vocalist at times, Okay. Um, which uh, was one of the biggest compositional challenges I think I've ever had somebody else give me. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it stayed pretty, um, um, there was a lot more structured improvisation and trying to talk to them about how do we control this space? How much density do we want? Um, because I was trying to give them the flexibility to do it with two people on stage and electronics versus three people on stage and electronics. Um, this is probably the most 
open notation I've done in Mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah. Well, and on your website, you say that um, this piece is evolving. Is this is that kind of one of the ways it can evolve? Like it, the configurations can change, or or was there something further than that? Um, well, I've never done a piece that I've been happy with yet, so um, every piece seems to need um, about six years of revision. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said they're interested in doing it for their next tour and a couple of other things in different configurations. I also, when I listened to it and um, after we premiered it, I really started thinking that um, having rhythmic alignment towards the end of it would be more effective regardless of how many people are playing it and that we they actually asked for it to be longer. They've, they all felt mm-hmm. that um, they'd ask me for an eight-minute piece and then when we started working on it, they said, we didn't expect you would actually listen to us. Composers never listen. They always, they always write like several more minutes than you say. And I, I really tried to keep it right at eight minutes. Right. And they said, this needs to breathe. And I said, I know, but I wanted to, I did, I wanted to honor what you were asking. Um, so I, I'd like for it to be a little bit more expansive, have a little bit more patience with the material and then have, I'll just tell you everything that's wrong with it. If you'd like to hear more things that are wrong with my music. <laughs> No, I, <laughs> I, because I think it's pretty awesome right now. So thank you. <laughs> um, that, that kind of exact situation with like, you have eight minutes or, or whatever, you know, that totally happened to me on, um, on my, uh, my doctoral dissertation piece, uh, it was for orchestra and the, the orchestra there, I mean, the, I, uh, did my DMA at Rice and the orchestra at Rice is like, what the one of the best student orchestras in the entire country if not the best end of statement um they're they're amazing um so like everyone writes for orchestra for their dissertation because it's like you get a performance and you get this amazing recording of it why would you not do that um so i did but they tell you like you have eight minutes like no more so you know, you work really, really hard to get your piece into that eight minute box. And it, you know, it was uh, performed and it was done, you know, they did amazing. And, and then after that, uh, I got into the, um, uh, the Hong Kong intimacy of creativity uh, Mm -hmm. program with Bright Sheng. And that particular year, it was the Hong Kong Phil that was the ensemble. So part of that program is revise the piece. So I actually got to go back. I mean, with an orchestra piece, it's like, well, okay, it was done. So that's what it is. And I got this opportunity to like slap a really expansive ending on it, which it really needed. Like the piece as it was, it ended way too soon. And it didn't like get to where it was going. And it it was, uh, yeah. It was it was really nice to have that opportunity to like, okay, well, this is what it was, but now let's it like you say, it needs to breathe. You know, that's so. no, that's amazing, and that's so rare with orchestra. Very and just, rare. Yeah. Um, I, th- I often think these constraints are wonderful because I think um, I like I like the tightness of of the material a lot of times if it's mm-hmm. constrained and that um, that has that time constraint. Um, I. I, you know, I sometimes struggle with a lot of times my students are 
for them to feel like it's a meaningful piece, it has to be expansive. It has to be long. And sometimes I don't think that the material warrants it. Exactly. Um, yeah. But the, and it's like, why are you taking this much time to say this? What does this need? What, what, um, but it's a little bit heartbreaking when you don't get enough space for the piece to be what it needs to be. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just, um, and it's very rare, I think, especially with large ensemble to get to revise it. That's oh, amazing. That's yeah. a wonderful. So it, I'm, I'm kind of listening to you and it sounds like, it sounds like proportion is the, one of the big things that you try and focus on in a piece. I graph everything out, um, on graph paper by the, by 10 seconds or by, mm-hmm. you know, um, everything that I do is, um, I want to believe that I'm like edgy and forward thinking. And I, I think on a lot of levels, I'm a structuralist. I just, mm-hmm. I love, I love good proportions. I believe that we have a temporal art form and we're controlling time and the experience within time and proportions are, are huge. Um, in fact, they're a big part of what I'm starting with when I start those sketches. So yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, that's fundamental to me and in, in knowing if a piece works or doesn't work. Yeah. I mean that, and, and honestly, that's one of, one of the hardest things to teach. Um, <laughs> like, because that's for, for, that's a big thing for, for me as well. Like it, every, ha, things have to feel right as well as sound right and the feeling comes from that this is right in that sweet spot sweet spot of where the the material is allowed to be what it needs to be for the time that it should be not going over and being too like making the listener maybe bored with it and not being under kind of really searching for whoa whoa, whoa, wait what was that like come back I, i i didn't really get that so yeah. yeah, that's and 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 truly that I mean, truly that's a thing where it it really is. You can only know if something feels right if if you are if you're hearing it if you're experiencing it in time. So you said that you don't work with notation software. So your your experience of the piece is literally like you're working with performers, and that's that's what you get. I I start notating into a notation software pretty late in the process, okay. so I do use notation software um, for most for most pieces, um, but I use it pretty late um, mm-hmm. for some of the stuff that you're talking about. Um, I do use like graph paper to graph out time, and when working with students, I also have them do some sort of mapping. Um, mm-hmm. I um, I really love Judith Lockhead's writing on structure. Um, um, she does contemporary structure, um, has a great book and I can't remember the name of it. Um, reconceiving structure, I think, um, in contemporary music, but, uh, she's a big proponent of mapping as analysis. And I tell my students that they have to map every piece in time, not in thinking in terms of how many pages of music, not thinking in time terms of how many measures, because it's so disorienting and because it makes you change how you're considering the material. And then I make them listen to it in their their heads they sit there and they with a stopwatch a lot of times we listen through in your mind think about this gesture is it really still going it's still going two minutes in so um (laughs) that's as close as I can get since we don't have like a you know some kind of 
student group to read through things and let them workshop it. And I, yeah. um, that's what I use too. I mean, a, an instrument, an, an interesting instrument in this is the accordion. I mean, there are not a, I mean, I'm sure there's a, there, there is, I, I can't say that there is a lot of rep out there for accordion, but in contemporary music, it's not like the flute, you know? <laughs> so what was, what was your approach for like learning about the accordion and learning its possibilities and then writing for it? God, um, so we're going to have to make sure that my students can't get access to this interview. <laughs> this is what I need from you is some kind of way to block them from this. Sure. We'll, so, we'll, we'll block out Western Michigan only from getting this. Ava, <laughs> um, the, um, the accordionist, is just amazing. And she, uh, when we s- agreed to write for the ensemble and we talked about doing this kind of collaboration, um, she sent to me and my colleague Biggs... Um, a huge amount of material, writing for the accordion, here's her accordion, here are these nuances of it, here's this thing, this thing, and this thing. Um, and it was beautiful, and I listened to so much accordion music, and then I was, I straight up wrote like a structured improvisation that <laughs> <laughs> like avoided all the stuff that I was terrified of. And, um, and I think at some point she gave me a big hug and we talked about doing another piece where I actually wrote more notes and didn't <laughs> <laughs> didn't hide from that. So Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So <laughs> um well let's let's just listen to it. So we're gonna hear uh, collect project. And this is essay number one, Mater. My study of this lost myself. Since I have lost, since it's one reason I have lost one myself, and by myself looking through myself, I'm able to see anything in the world. This is the world's mystery, so magnetic that no one protecting me from nothing other than vulnerability to a I set out to do Thank you. 
So after listening to that, we should mention that people, if they if they want to see uh, some of the visual aspect of this, they can go to your website to look at the video. So uh, your website is? Uh, LisaArcoons.com. Awesome. So one of the things I kind of found on your website that I wanted to ask you about was were your sounding sculptures. So can you tell me about these? Like, what are they? Where are they? <laughs> Um, a lot of them are still taking up a lot of space in my parents' barn. Okay. Um, unfortunately. Uh, uh, yeah. So, um, 
I grew up on a hog farm in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up working class hog farm. My accent comes back. I can't even say my ending G's if I talk about home. Um, I grew up on a farm in Missouri uh, and somehow somehow ended up doing a PhD at Princeton in music composition. And while I was at Princeton, um, which was brilliant, amazing, enriching, mind-blowing, um, I also I also just had the hardest time trying to figure out where I belonged and how I fit there and trying to reconcile these worlds. So um, I started I started writing more and more complex music, trying to prove to everyone that I should be there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in fact, I think, um, and you might have to edit this out, but I think Steve Mackey at one time said, um, "Oh, look, this is good music. I think this is really good." And here, it looked like you tried to get all smart and shit. <laughs> Um, he like he would he called me out on it in a really fantastic and beautiful Steve way, um, and uh, this became almost like therapy for me. I went home and my dad had been doing a bunch of tractor repair with a 1950s welder, stick welder, arc welder, mm-hmm. and um, I started making instruments. And I couldn't get too smart, and I couldn't show off, and I couldn't try to use too many chops. And I started playing again with sound, so I started making really weird objects and hitting them and stroking them and making uh, really bad contact microphones for them. <laughs> and um, um, yeah, it became a thing. People were willing to play them. I have one that uh, tours around a little bit. It's easy to ship via FedEx. Um, I can yeah, ship this great. strange little thing that's made out of uh, rebar from the farm. It's old fence posts. Mm-hmm. And um, I have some bigger ones that we've done. Uh, my husband welds as well, so uh, we make some... It's things that people are invited to come up and play on them after you see a p- couple of percussionists play them. And um, I think it keeps me honest and keeps me kind of playful. And I love doing these projects. Yeah. I mean, that that particular configuration of like, you know, making these metal structures that percussionists are supposed to play. On, it, it, I mean, I have to bring up the association of like the Earl Brown and Alexander Calder piece, like the, that Calder piece thing. But I mean... I wanted for for you, you know, coming from Princeton, do it like not really like trying to find your way and writing this music to do that. And you are you've spent all of this time kind of perfecting this you know, trying to figure out what you're doing and getting better and better and better at music. What is that? feeling like when you start something brand new that you don't have all of that education about you know what is like because i've thought about this a lot like i i uh making some kind of sculptural something really sounds amazing to me you know like in i love installation art and um the thing that keeps me from it I think is that terrifying realization that I'm gonna suck at this for a long time (laughs) you know (laughs) um you know I think I get really easily bored and it doesn't matter the next piece I do I'm gonna try something that I haven't done before and I kind of um uh, I love I love learning something new I like the challenges um I 
usually tell people I was really fortunate that my mom was going to nursing school when I started trying to get back into welding because I hurt myself a lot. It wasn't just like I was bad at it. It wasn't just that these things were truly ugly and they didn't sound good. But I was bleeding a lot. (laughs) I was burned. Um, uh, But I feel alive when I'm being pushed and I feel um, excited when it's driven from something that's... um, this should be made, this should exist in the world, and it feels honest to me, and um, I think in some ways that's safer, that's a, I'm sure that's a safety blanket as well, like, I probably will suck at it, and it'll be a really rewarding process, and if it doesn't live forever, this, this collaboration with these human beings, this space, this thing was sincere, and for me, that gives it, um, that's redeeming enough to take it on. Yeah, I think you you just said the thing that should push me further into this is that it's and I mean this this is about music composition as well. It's not it's not the product, it's the process. Yeah. You know. So, I think I think I was too focused on making a crappy product instead of having a rewarding process. Well, and and like we were talking earlier, there's a reason that I believe in like six years of revision because yeah. <laughs> it's it's, uh, um, it's really impractical, and I think it's hugely rewarding. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hi there, it's Andrew Martin Smith again with a brief message from our podcast sponsor. Are you interested in learning more about a community of composers that places emphasis on building relationships and forming connections with creatives across multiple disciplines? From social and political commentary to the exploration of scientific algorithms with the use of electronically generated sounds and or the incorporation of contemporary images, dance, glassblowing, prose, or poetry, the members of the Adjective Composers Collective embrace a variety of musical techniques and styles to create evocative works that have enthralled audiences across the world. Looking to foster or facilitate a new commission or collaboration? feel free to contact us at adjectivenewmusic.com. Let's create something new and impactful together. Before we return to this week's episode, here is a brief interlude featuring the music of Cynthia Van Manen, performed by the Texas State University Wind Symphony with Caroline Beatty conducting. So feel free to sit back and enjoy this brief excerpt of Cynthia Van Manen's Elegy for Our Children. Thank you. 
we now return to this week's episode of Lexical Tones. Well, let's let's move on to your uh, your brass quintet called Invisible Dark, and um, I again uh, what we were just talking about the sounding sculptures. You can find pictures and I think videos of those also on your website. So um, definitely go do that because obviously in an audio medium we can't represent those here. <laughs> Actually, we could. But you wouldn't know what what you wouldn't you would only have half of the story, um, and that that doesn't make sense. So, um, but this brass quintet that we're going to talk about, it would also be worth the listeners going to watch the video of this performance on your website because it also has a visual element associated with it. So, can you explain what's happening visually with this piece? Uh, yeah, uh, this piece is performed in in darkness, and each of the performers has um, a, a single light above them, a small lamp, and they control it with a foot pedal when they're playing. Um, so there's times where they kind of emerge and they turn on their kind of own spotlight as part of their gesture, and then they disappear back into the blackness. The opening of this piece is kind of like... Uh, air sounds through the instruments and um, like kind of articulated air. So kind of, I think for trombone and tuba, would you call that like flap tongue or something like that? Um, And so you have those air sounds, but you also have the foot clicks of like turning on the lights. And I don't know, for me, there was something really nice about the foot clicks. Like, (laughs) I don't know if that is just... If for you, that was a byproduct of turning the lights on and, or, or sorry, I know that it's a byproduct of turning the lights on and off, but did you kind of consider the sonic effect of the light switches when, when specifying them? Yeah. Um, I, I got these lights and I started playing with them and I, I act out everything I do. And I, uh, my poor colleagues who, who, you know, I'll show a piece in progress or my husband, my poor husband's had to do choreography with me. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I would put the lights on myself and click and then make strange noises and, mm-hmm. and I like it and I liked bringing it into the percussive material. So, um, I kind of fell in love with it. The performers were like, you're making us work really hard and remembering <laughs> to turn on and off a foot pedal. Um, and I said, yes, this is the accessible piece I was trying to write for you. That's what being a drummer is about. You can use all yeah. four limbs. So... <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's funny. <laughs> so, in your notes about this piece, you mentioned that this piece plays with ideas of uh pressured social conformity. So, can you can you unpack that a little more? Yeah, I think this is running throughout my work a lot now and I can't get away from it. I'm really intrigued by it when we're talking about um ensemble playing is how this how this illustrates um, like power dynamics or social dynamics um, in interesting ways. And and arrival points are often when everybody conforms and behaves together and works as a group. Um, And I find that really intriguing. Like the individual has to be sort of subsumed for the piece to reach an effective climax. So you have to just be annexed by the ensemble. (laughs) So... Since you mentioned this piece was like the uh, the the accessible piece you were gonna write for the brass the brass quintet, 
Uh, this has far more structured uh, harmony and melodic ideas in it. So can we talk about like how you're handling pitch in this piece? Oh, yeah. Um, I mapped out a bunch of harmonies that I was in love with. And I this is one of the few times that I worked in a notation software and tried to prioritize listening to pitch playback. Mm -hmm. um, I almost, like I said, I never do that. And I was trying to get invested in that. And then I would take, um, a lot of the harmonies are based on, I would take the melodic line and build a harmony around the melodic line um, mm -hmm. and work with a couple of hexachords. And then I was using like a distorted overtone series for some of my harmonic material. Yeah, I mean, towards the towards the end, it really like you are writing chord progressions <laughs> because it, you you kind of talked about in in the notes. There's this um, there's this progression uh, rhythmically of being very uh, individualistic and moving towards conformity. So by the end of the piece we're hearing like stacked chords like we're we're hearing a brass quintet the way you would think about a traditional brass quintet like big fat chords and and everything not that you know not that your piece is a traditional brass quintet because i posted this on Fa I, you probably didn't see but i posted it on facebook earlier like i as a general rule i don't really like brass quintets but I really like your piece. So it's not traditional. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was trying really hard to, I've never written for brass quintet mm -hmm. um, in my professional life. It held before my professional life. I had not written for brass quintet, mm -hmm. um, possibly for some of the reasons that you're stating. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they do they do those fat chords really nicely mm -hmm. and um and what the performers what they do well and what the ensemble is i felt like that was what the arrival point should be um was something that tried to kind of at least reference that and allowed them to speak the way they were comfortable speaking because i was going to ask them to do a lot that they weren't as comfortable with so mm -hmm. that was our our compromise <laughs> right because you you do like um you know you're you're pushing them with like the air sounds and uh there it does seem like they're actually you do require some like you know physical choreography especially at the beginning but then you you know they're doing like flutter tongue stuff and singing while playing and like uh like harmon mute uh kind of like wah techniques and stuff like that so that's that's all in there but i think you you have this really nice progression like i said from these kind of dispersed textures or individualistic textures to this like very these big statements of of unity i guess or i mean maybe unity is a, the not the right word because you like in your notes you said conformity and that has mm. a kind of different connotation with it um thank you again um this is i think that the harmonies when it when it kind of blossoms into what it 
I, I worked kind of backwards from this. So I worked from some of these arrival points where they became these big fat chords and that way I could think about the material gradually becoming what it was supposed to be yeah. or kind of opening up into what it was supposed to be. And I, I think um, I am not like a, a, a traditionally tonal composer, but um, I do think about this spectrum of creating tension through noise a little bit like a combination of of Seriajo's, you know, noise to pitch spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, but using noise and friction and sort of that lock and mon approach to like um, um, the struggle in sound to things that are harmonically more comfortable or more familiar or more um, traditionally consonant using some of these tools as resolution points. So I found it um, I found it to be really satisfying if I can earn those points of more traditional beauty in a way that doesn't feel trite. It doesn't feel yeah. one dimensional. It doesn't feel easy. It's come through struggle. It's come through development. It's come through um, um, the performers exploring sound and gesture until they reach this point of, um, of conformity or unity. Yeah. I like what you just said about kind of working backwards. I mean, that it reminds me of, uh, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but it, it reminds <laughs> me of uh, doing counterpoint exercises, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, two, two voice counterpoint. And um, I like, I tell my, I still tell my students, it's like, it's so much easier if you work backwards. It is. God, like, it is. Yeah, if you if you start from the beginning and try to get to where you're going, there are so many wrong turns you can take. But if you start from the end and just backtrack, it's like, oh, well, this is so clear. And then, like you say, that arrival point feels so much better because it was approached in the way that makes it feel like an arrival point as opposed to being approached, well, I'm here and I know I need to jump over there, so here it is. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, and it's. I think it's just more fun to discover the potential in the material. So um, this is also something that I think I've been building on since grad school, and I'm probably talking about Steve Mackey too much, but he's lovely. Um, Steve Mackey, he said he would play with material for two weeks before he would commit any of it to the page. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really believe in that, being playful with it, thinking about all the configurations and thinking about where it becomes and spending some time thinking about um, what is it in its mature form. If you think, I, I sometimes think about um, narrative theory as propelling me through a piece. So if I want to see the adult um the adult character, what these ideas will become, um, I have to I have to know all those dimensions to know which aspects contribute to that. So yeah. that has to be fleshed out so much more than and it's just so easy and fun to write a cool beginning. It's yeah. <laughs> it's like so hard to really write a, an effective climax. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that. I that was some of. Uh, advice that that i've been given before that i i tend to take is like you know write the climax first you know at least then you know where you're going you know yeah. and and then you can figure out a, a a satisfying way to get there you know and uh i unfortunately i didn't do it on this last piece and i was kind of <laughs> kicking myself for it but oh well it, we we got there eventually 
<laughs> you decide you need a little more challenge than that. I guess. Too yeah. Easy. <laughs> you know, global pandemic and social unrest and, and uh, you know, economy in tatters. Give yourself one more challenge. A little more challenge. <laughs> um, this piece is going to be performed by the Western Brass Quintet, and that is just the Brass Quintet at Western Michigan University? Yes, they're the faculty quintet at uh, Western Michigan. So let's listen to it now. This is Invisible Dark. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Okay, so uh, we've come to the question that I always ask all the composers or artists that are on the podcast. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Um, or are I, you still coming to that? <laughs> I think I'm moving away from that. <laughs> well, I loved it. I loved in your bio that um, your relationship with the concert hall is tenuous. That's such a good way of saying that. <laughs> I wrote that for you when you asked for a short bio. And I was like, I could have just used some sentences that I had. But yeah. no, I decided to do this. And it was actually, um, I had to remove fraught. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I said I was from a hog farm in Missouri and I always thought I was going to be a rock musician. And then I, I worked in a recording studio and I decided that I was not going to be a rock musician. (laughs) And, um, I, I went to school, but I couldn't stop composing and I've kept with it and I love it. And, um, I just don't feel comfortable in the concert hall, but I love making sound and I love embodied gesture and I love creating environments. I'm doing more and more where I create environments and um, um, have my audience move or have the performers around you. Or um, I don't want to get away from making sound, but um, um, I think less and less people are going to call what I do music and I'm... Um, I'm excited, so I don't I don't really have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was that there uh, there's that Mark Applebaum uh, like TED Talk or something he did a long time ago where, you know, is it, it the question he was like the question he always gets is is it music? And it's like that's not an interesting question. Is it right. is what I'm doing interesting? Like that's the only thing that matters. So, and that's I I love having that conversation with students because you know every anyone between the years of 18 and 22 are like so entrenched already (laughs) somehow and it's like why what who who cares just make a thing you made a thing is it is it this is it that i who cares is it interesting is it good is it does it fulfill you that's the only thing that matters at this point so And, and i think um i I really think that my husband has this nice thing he says. He's um he's a geneticist. Um and I've been so grateful for having a different perspective. Um he takes things he thinks about things differently and he says that um we don't have conversations to change people's minds. We have conversations to to kind of expose what we believe and be closer to them. Um, and I think people seek that out in art of whatever form. Um, they seek that closeness to someone else, that experience. That, And if a lot of times it's not music, it's not pretty, it's not a lot of things, but it's vulnerable or it's, it's emotive or it's um, communicative in a way that can be, even if it's not... It's not a happy piece. It's not something that makes you feel good. It feels connected and you feel yeah. like another human being understands you. And that's huge. That's so much bigger for me than like writing a pretty piece, <laughs> as you can probably tell by everything that I've <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, in in your original email and you were like, I, I don't I don't know if like if should I send you something that's accessible? And I was like, I uh, 
<laughs> the accessible how like <laughs> I, I i find i i find a lot of quote unquote non-accessible pieces to be the most interesting things that are out there so um that's why i was so excited to have you on the podcast was because i think what you're doing is very beautiful and despite it not conforming with you know whatever the that the concert hall really likes it is so interesting to me so i think uh what you're doing is pretty awesome even Thank if you. even if it takes you 6 years to <laughs> feel that way too <laughs> well before we go can you um can you tell people uh where they can uh, find more of your music like your website or uh, I think you have a YouTube account or where they could find you online or connect with you or anything like that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, L-I-S-A-R-C-O-O-N-S, LisaArcoons.com. Uh, All of the links are there. And um, I am lonely because of coronavirus. So if somebody wants to reach out, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Lisa. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.